0: I'm back on my chair, because it's a conversation. That's why I wanted people sat here, because it's a conversation that I want to have with you. I'm going to try and look over there. Hello to everybody on YouTube world, uh, and Vimeo world, and Facebook world. I want to bless you in the name of Jesus. So whatever you're going through, whatever issues you're, you're having to deal with, I want to tell you this morning that the name of Jesus breaks every chain. Yeah. Breaks every chain. That's what we've been talking about this morning, isn't it, guys? Yeah. We've been talking about Jesus being in, in those places with you. All right, so be blessed and enjoy what's coming up. I felt like I was on TV then. That was nice, wasn't it? Alright, okay, this is very high, but that's okay. Alright, so I've done you some sheets, a little different from last time. i am not am giving you a full booklet last time, but I'm trying to slim it down so there's more space for you to be able to take these away, discuss it in your life groups, discuss it with your, your better half or your worse half, whatever, and, um, and, and and just have a good old chin mug about what's been said. And On the reverse, there's something on the reverse as well. There are things you might want to fill in at some point during this this uh, uh, preach, um, but it's up to you entirely. But I hope you appreciate those, and that they're you Useful for you I'm going to try and do those every time I talk. Okay. Now, I was at a Paul Scanlon kind of leadership round table a number of weeks ago and there's about 20 of us in a room. So Paul Scanlon was the, the lead, leader of um, uh, Abundant Life Church in Bradford. He's now handed that on to Charlotte and her husband, Steve. Uh, but he still goes around preaching and does conferences and, and what have you. Uh, and his significant fellow is, is an excellent communicator, awesome communicator. Anyway, so um, it was a leadership roundtable. So we were talking about leadership and what have you. Um, a, a question came, because there were people who weren't, who were there who weren't Part of a church said They were part of a professional, secular business, and so it was all that. And the question came: How do we, how do we um, give value to those who? Um, how do we see value in those who don't? work for money or don't work for a business, like i.e., the voluntary sector. What, how do we perceive value in those, in those people? Uh, and obviously the voluntary sector includes church, because a lot of church is run by volunteers. A lot of what we do is, is voluntary-based. And I thought, that's a great question. How do we rate value in the volunteer sector? So I gave it some thought while everybody else was having a chinwag, and, and I came with, with a few things. And I, and I thought, some of the th- ways in we can perceive value, obviously not monetary value, is, is passion, Uh, eagerness to engage uh, someone who demonstrates initiative and then long-term commitment as well so it's not just one week on one week off and then maybe if I can fit it in but commitment and then plays well with others so there's some of the thoughts I came up with and so what I've decided to do is create a bit of a, a series based on those answers that I've come up with and so this week I'm going to talk about passion Okay, I'm going to talk about passion. Um, And I've called the overall series. Can you flash that that thing up? I've created a new graphic. Of course I've created a new graphic for it. Um, If we can display it on the screen, I'll keep talking like a radio presenter. There we go. Something for nothing. Something for nothing? That question mark's important. Are we getting something for nothing? Okay, you can tell me afterwards at the end of the series whether that title's appropriate, whether I should change it. But I think it'll work for now. And here's my overriding statement. And it's on the top of your little uh, sheet there as well. In the world of paid work... We can calculate the value of an employee by working at how much money they help the business generate. It sounds cold, but generally that's the point of being in business, to make money. How do you place a figure on someone who serves for nothing? How are we able to perceive value in what we do for free? So hopefully over these next however many times I'm speaking, uh, we'll be able to, I'll be able to help you think about that a little bit more and how I perceive value. So one of the ways in which we can see value uh, in how we serve the church and and other voluntary uh, sectors is by looking at how passionate someone is about doing something. The job they might do might not have been the thing they thought they would be doing, but they do it anyway. Why do they do it? Because they believe in a cause. And when you believe in a cause, that creates passion. Passion. When you believe in a cause, that creates passion. Now regarding serving in the church, we see a passion in people as we observe their servant heart. As they pour out their lives in pursuit of God and doing his will. Now ultimately we don't serve in church and we shouldn't be serving in church because someone has told us to. Or because we see a need or through being made feel guilty about a role not being filled, we we serve because we want to line our hearts up with that of Jesus, and Jesus is our most excellent, our most perfect example of how to serve well. And I have an amen for that. You can I, I can say? Because you want me to say? Ultimately, we don't serve in that bit. Ultimately, we don't serve in church because someone has told us to or because we see a need or through being made to feel guilty about a role not filled. We serve because we want to line our hearts up with that of Jesus, who is our most excellent and perfect example of how to serve well. Yes. What does it mean though? What does that phrase mean? Because we hear it banded around a lot, don't we? Servant heart. What does that actually mean? Well, to help us kind of get to the bottom of it, let's, let's go from Ephesians, start with Ephesians 6, verse 6. And then we'll get to trying to define that phrase. And I'll read it for you. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, as I generally do these days. It's a great translation. Ephesians 6, verse 6. Always do what is right, and not only when others are watching, so that you may please Christ as his servants by doing his will. Lisa, would you mind pulling that table over and grabbing me that? Yeah. Thank you very much. So if you're a Christful believer, everybody a Christful believer here this morning? Okay, I want to see every hand. Are you a Christful believer this morning? Otherwise I'm just going to make an assumption you're not. Okay, fantastic. All right, we're all Christful assumptions. Thank you so much for doing that. That's great. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Well, that means you've repented of your sins, doesn't it? So all the bad stuff that you used to do, you are committed to no longer doing. That's, that's, that's what it means. And you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Saviour. I hope you've all done that. Because of that heart-led, mindful decision, you, this is the great news, isn't it, you've been freed from the burden and the penalty of all your sin, all, all that bad stuff. And you've been freed of it from, from your past, your present, and any you might do in the future. You are now free from that because of your life in Christ. You are assured, and this is awesome, you are assured of your place in heaven. You are assured of your place in heaven because that was secured at the very moment you accepted Jesus into your life. And you are now promised to spend eternity with God. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. But God hasn't taken us home to our eternal life. Home yet. He hasn't taken us there yet. He has a destiny, a plan, and a purpose for each of us while we're still here on earth. And I actually think, just going off script a little bit, I think God has still got a plan, a destiny, and a purpose when we get to heaven. I still think there's stuff to do. I don't think we're going to be on clouds playing a harp. I, th- I think there's going to be inventions still to be invented. I think there are activities still to be done. I just think heaven's going to be amazing. He's still got a plan, he's got an eternal destiny for us, an eternal plan and an eternal purpose. God has called us to serve him and his people. God has called us to share the truth of the gospel with those who are heading uh, to an eternity that's separate from God. God has called us to be salt and light in this world, to be the, the difference and to show the difference. Ultimately, God has called us to serve him And part of that process of serving him is that God encourages us to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. To help us define then what our servant heart is, we also need to ask this question. It, you, you tend to go down a rabbit hole when you start to try and define something and then you can find your way back. So we need to ask this other question as we're digging deep into this, this, this first question. What are we to guard our hearts against? And the simple answer is this. We must guard our hearts from anything, from anything that will lead us away from God's plan and purpose for us. Our hearts are meant to be different. Our motivation is meant to be different. Serving God and his purpose for us is meant to be at the centre of our lives. We should be different because Jesus has made a difference in our lives. We are free, aren't we? We are saved. We are in the world, but guess what? We're not of the world. So that's the answer to the question of how do we guard our hearts. But here's another question. We did go down this rabbit or a little bit further. How can we be in the world but not of the world? Let's try and answer that. In John chapter 17, we've got a record of a prayer of Jesus. And while praying to to Daddy God, uh, Jesus says of his disciples, said to them in his followers in John 17 from verse 14, uh, uh, I have given them your message. And this is why the unbelieving world hates them. For their allegiance is no longer of this world, because I am not of this world. So, what do we mean by that? Well, the world translated the word translated "world" in the original Greek text. I love my wordplay. I tell you every week, I do it. I bring some Greek up, okay? So, so the world in the uh, world in the original Greek text, original Greek. I'll get I'll get these words out in a minute. It's cosmos, okay? That's the Greek word for world in this 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 text, and cosmos refers to the inhabited earth. And the people who live on the earth, which, because of the fall, now functions apart from God. If you don't believe me, again, let's look at the scripture. One John 5 verse 19. We know that we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the misery and the influence of the evil one. If the evil one, that's Satan, in case you're a little bit confused about who that might be, uh, is the ruler of this world, this cosmos then we can understand why Jesus would say in his prayer, for those who believe in him are no longer of this world. that makes sense? As followers of Jesus, we are no longer ruled by sin. We are no longer bound by the sinful practices and principles of the world. Where we are free from the power of sin, as we've been saying this morning. We're set free from the control of the evil one. Would you agree with that? We are set free from his control. We are now saved, but we don't stop there because we are continually being changed and transformed into the image of who? The image of Christ. Our interest in the things of the world should probably decrease as we grow closer to God and mature in our walk with him. So we're to be in this world, but we're not of the world, but we're very definitely practically present, aren't we? But we're not to be part then of its, of its value system. So I'm getting there with trying to answer the initial question about value. We are set apart from the world. So when we're saved, it means we've answered God's call for us to become holy. God is holy. So that we, we, we assume the likeness of Christ. Christ. And, and as we let the Holy Spirit do His work in us, we are set apart from the world to live a holy, righteous life. Romans twelve, verse from verse one says, "Beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's marvelous what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness." Experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. i repeat that. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the, the Holy Spirit through a total transformation of how you think. In fact it says here total reformation of how you think. A reforming. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I sit here now and God thinks I'm beautiful. He thinks I am perfect in his eyes. And if you're a if you're a Holy Spirit full believer, he believes that of you too. Isn't that awesome? So our hearts are not meant to seek after or engage in the sinful activities of this world. Especially not the one that it promotes. Our our number one desire should be allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. Transforming our thoughts, transforming our minds, transforming our hearts. And so as we do, we become passionate about what he's passionate about. Being in the world but not of it means we have an opportunity to bring light to people who are in spiritually dark places. We're expected to live in a way that shows there is something different about us. And maybe we need to do a daily check. And it's on your notes there actually, on the opposite side. And stick up on your fridge maybe. Do this daily check. Am I obviously different from the world? How much of my life is really different to those who do not follow Jesus. Does my life show that I'm different because of my relationship with God? Listen, I know that there are some amazing people out there doing good, and they're helping changing the world and others, but their difference is that they don't point people to Jesus. So I'm thankful and grateful for all those people doing good stuff But they don't point people to Jesus. And the point of our lives is to point people to him. Is it not? Yes, it is. Paul's message to the Romans is really clear. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world. Be different. Have a different heart. Make every effort to live, think and act like a person who knows Jesus. As a person who has been saved. As a person who wants to bring honour and glory to God, I want to be that person. So does does your behaviour show that you're different because of your relationship with God? Is your heart different because of your relationship with God? Is your heart a servant heart? There you go, we got there in the end, didn't we? Is your heart a servant heart? I said right at the start, didn't I? Just a few moments ago that the best example of someone operating with a servant heart is Jesus. Mark 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone and to give his life as a ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. Our focus should be on Jesus. And we we must be wholehearted in our devotion to him. And remember, it's him who we're serving in all things. And, and despite whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is that we're doing, we're doing it for Jesus. Whether you're a, a banker, you're, you're banking for Jesus. If you're, if you're a cleaner, you're cleaning for Jesus. If you're a teacher, you're teaching for Jesus. Nick, what do you do for a living? You're gushing for, you're gushing for Jesus. Okay, you're financially querying things for Jesus. Great, uh, Judy. What do you do? A what? You're a nurse. You're nursing for Jesus. You're nursing for Jesus. Uh, Rizan, what do you do? You're a de- You're decorating for Jesus. Christine, what do you do? Me. Yeah. What do you What do you do in your days? You're grandmothering for Jesus. Everything that we're doing, no matter what it is, no matter how much you earn, no matter how little you earn, no matter how dirty it is, no matter how clean it is, no matter how active it is, no matter how sedentary, I shouldn't have said that word, no matter how not moving it is, you do it for Jesus and I think that's a great leveller. We do it for Jesus. Where am I? The focus of many people in this world and and you see it time and again, is their own happiness and comfort. And of course they are lovely things to have, aren't they? Happiness and comfort. They are very lovely things to have. Um, But remember what I spoke about in the uncomfortable series? We're not called to actually live a comfortable life. We're called to live a life in service of him, regardless of our personal circumstances. As followers of Christ, we're called to be different. God calls us to have the same attitude as Jesus. The same servant heart. So in the end, we've only got two straightforward options open to us, the way that I see it. Our decision uh, to to make about which path we take. And these these are what they are. Either we, we choose to serve ourselves or we choose to serve God. They're the only two options open. If we choose to serve ourselves, well, it's a choice, which means we're choosing to not fully live our lives as disciples of Christ. Obedient to the will of God. But if we choose to serve God, however, we're choosing to live as his servants because of our relationship with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. If we choose to serve God, we're choosing to be true disciples of Jesus. If we choose to serve God, we're choosing to fully serve the will and purpose of Him and not serve our own desires. In fact, the Bible says that, that uh, we, we should, as we choose to do His will, His desires become our own anyway. Psalm 37, verse 4, make God, uh, verse 4, make God the utmost delight and pleasure in your life, and He will provide for you what you desire the most. At the heart of non religious Christianity, Faithful discipleship is knowing and loving God. Being in a real relationship with him. Living as his children. Living with a servant heart in the power of the Holy Spirit. Family, we need to choose. And for many of us, we need to choose daily. To to willingly submit control uh, of our lives to God. Our focus is to be on pleasing God. And serving him just as Jesus did. Jesus came as a, as a servant with, with a full commitment to serving the will of daddy God. Think of this for a moment. It, if instead of coming t- to serve, Jesus had come to be served, our salvation would never have taken place. Yeah. He, he wouldn't have taken your place or mine. He would never have come to endure the pain of the cross. If he'd come to be served, he would have never have been that perfect sacrifice that we needed for our sins. Jesus came with a full expectation and willingness to be the servant, not the served. And we then as followers of Jesus, we must be willing to to be servants of our our saviour and our king. We must be willing to learn and to work out what it is to have a servant heart, a holy heart, a pure heart. Listen, so maybe you struggle with that. Perhaps you're wondering, how can I have a servant heart? How can I have a holy heart, a pure heart? Well, guess what? Why did not you ask God to help? They said it last week. Ask God. If you're struggling with something, ask God. If you want something, ask God. Psalm 51.10 says, Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. Psalm 86.11, Teach me more about you, how you work, how you move, so that I can walk onward in your truth until everything within me brings honour to your name. And I want to remind you that God will answer your prayers. Listen to God's words from Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-six. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Ask God afresh this morning. Maybe you might even want to do it right now. To give you a servant heart. Ask him to give you a servant heart. So that that passion for God is entirely on display. Unashamedly undignified. (laughs) As the words of a famous worship song go, that most of us will have sang at some point, I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering the passion in my soul. And I'll become even more undignified than this. Do you know it? Yeah. Should we sing it? Let's sing it and declare it. You can't say no, Gary. Well, you can. You don't have to sing at all. It'll just be me on my own. I will dance, I will sing To be mad for my king Nothing, Lord, is hindering This passion in my soul I will dance, I will sing To be mad for my king Nothing, Lord, is hindering This passion in my soul And I'll become Even more undignified than this <laughs> Hallelujah, well done Well done, well done My cat's got a little clap in the middle Listen, um if you, if you sung those words right right there, no, no, most of you did, did you mean them? <laughs> Suckered you into that one, didn't I? Did you mean them? Have you developed a heart filled with passion to serve your king? A heart filled with passion to serve his kingdom? A heart filled with a passion to serve others? Jesus said in Matthew 23 from verse 11, Remember this, if you have a lofty opinion of yourself and seek to be honoured, you will be humbled. But if you have a modest opinion of yourself and choose to humble yourself, you will be honoured. Greatness in God's kingdom is not found in position or power or in the praise and opinions of other people. Oh my goodness, don't we fall prey to opinions? Greatness in God's kingdom is found in servant-like service to others. Perhaps the greatest illustration of having a servant heart is found in John 13. I'll describe that story a little bit. They're there in the upper room on the night before his crucifixion. Jesus demonstrated what it means to have a servant heart. I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus is there with his disciples. Okay, he's in the upper room. Everything's been prepared for his last meal with the disciples. Everything except one important thing, according to the customs of the time, there should have been a servant present with a, a bowl of water and a towel. Because the servant would have been there to wash the feet of the guests who, who'd walked the, the dusty. Dirty roads of Palestine, listen, they'd have worn sandals. I took my shoes off earlier. I want to walk the dusty roads. But these guys would have walked the dusty roads of Palestine. But there was no servant in the room. So so who then, out of all those people, who's gonna lower themselves to the position of a servant and perform that task? Who who stood their hand up first? Can you imagine? Can you just imagine the disciples looking around? kind of corner of the eye, when, are you going to do, you, you do it? Who's going to do it? Who's going to get the bowl? Who's going to do this? Maybe, maybe they, were, they were looking at the door waiting for the servant to come in. I don't know. You can imagine them thinking, that's a disgusting job. I mean, washing feet's a disgusting job, isn't it? Particularly if they're dirty and minging and they've stood in all sorts of goodness knows what. That's a job I don't think I'd really want to do. But this is then, then the perfect example Of a servant at heart. Happens. Jesus stands up. He takes off his coat. He rolls up his sleeves. Puts a towel around his waist. Puts water in the bowl. And begins to wash the feet of his disciples. The Messiah. The son of God. The king of kings. Lord of lords. Takes on the role of a servant. The job of a slave. Jesus did what no one else wanted to do. What no one else was willing to do. He took the place of a slave and he washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus willingly took the place of a servant. And in fact, throughout his entire ministry on earth, his servant heart was displayed in, in his action and his attitude Jesus provided his disciples and he provides us as well with the perfect example of what it means to have a servant heart listen to the words in John chapter 13 from verse 12 after washing their feet he put his robe on and returned to his place at the table do you understand what I just did Jesus said You've called me your teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's what I am. So if I'm your teacher and Lord and have just washed your dirty feet, then you should follow the example that I've set for you and wash one another's feet. Now do for each other what I have just done for you. I speak to you a timeless truth. A servant is not superior to his master and an apostle is never greater than the one who sent him. What Jesus did was an example of what his disciples should do, of what we should do. Jesus assumed the role of a servant to minister to others. And we must be willing to humble ourselves to serve others. True blessing comes when when we have a servant heart. And a willingness to, to serve others. In Colossians three twenty three. Put your heart and soul into every activity you do. As though you're doing it for the Lord himself. And not merely for others. We are to live with servant hearts. And be willing to pick up the servant's towel. And serve our God and King. We are to live as servants of our God. We are, li- we are to live as people who are committed to the plans and purposes of God. We are to live as disciples of Christ who are committed to meeting the needs of others. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And chorus of, a, of another song by Graham Hendrick says this. I'll not get you to sing this one. It's all right, Gary. This is our God. Our servant king, he calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. Bet you were singing that in your head, weren't you? In Christ, God calls us to live as servants, to serve others, to serve God as as our Lord Jesus did. He is the perfect example of having a servant heart. So let us choose to have a heart like his. As our hearts are changed to be more like his, as we choose to serve like he did, then we become passionate in all that we do. As we serve his church in such a way as that, our value is perceived and we'll begin to draw others in to be more like Christ. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we We love.